Please turn with me in our Bibles this evening to Isaiah chapter 40. And this evening we're looking at verses 6 through 8, but we'll begin our reading back at verse 1. Isaiah chapter 40, and beginning our reading at verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We have been looking at this chapter in Isaiah over the last uh, couple of weeks, and we have been highlighting that every one of us looks for comfort somewhere in life. The only question is, is where do we look for comfort uh, when we are faced with the trials and the, the complexities that life bring upon us? And Isaiah is urging us to look to the Lord ultimately for our comfort. And Isaiah, you remember, was written here in a a context in which the nation of Judah was being humiliated. They had been defeated by the Assyrians and their own nation or their own kingdom had been weakened. But they were still holding on. But there would come a further humiliation of the kingdom of Judah because the Babylonians would take away everything. The people of Israel, the people of Judah, would go into exile. And they would do so because of their sins against God, because they had put their trust in their idols, in their sins, rather than in listening to and trusting in the Lord himself. And so after depicting what will come, Isaiah now turns, he transitions to this message of comfort, because the final word of God is not a word of despair, but it is a word that brings comfort to those who turn to the Lord and trust in it. And we looked in these opening verses at how there is this announcement. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. So the announcement of comfort was that her warfare is ended. Her misery will come to an end. Her comfort was the fact that her iniquities have been pardoned. That there can be a reconciliation and a restoration with God. And their comfort was the fact that the glory of the Lord would be revealed. Something is going to happen that excels even creation 
and even the exodus from Egypt. There is another work that God is going to do, and he is calling all people to look to it. And so there is this announcement of comfort, and the basis of that comfort is in the work of God, and in the fact that there is a a way of being restored with a holy God. But as we come back to this chapter this evening, we want to see not only that there was an announcement of comfort, and not only is there a basis given for why we can have hope, not only is there a basis given for why we can look to the world by faith and look forward with confidence, but we are given ultimately as well the source of comfort, or the certainty, we might say, of that comfort. And we see that in verses 6 through 8. And so this evening we want to see that because God's word will stand forever, we can depend on it. You notice there in verse 6 that it says, once again, we are introduced to this uh, mysterious voice that is speaking. And once again, it's not so much the the speaker uh, that is the focus as much as it is the content of what is being expressed. Uh, We we were told back in verse 3, a voice cries. And here again in verse 6, we are given this uh, language of a voice cries. And it is a voice that is communicating something uh, of great urgency. You think about that language of crying out, to call out. Even from a baby's youngest days, before an infant can articulate words and express themselves, even before a child can say what they need, A baby is able and is created in such a way that it can call attention that it needs help. It can call attention to the fact that it needs. And so a baby cries. So a baby will shout because it wants the attention of its parent. It needs something. And here that that emphasis is coming out. A voice uh, cries. A voice is calling attention to something. There is something that calls for a response. And the question that is, uh, this voice that is speaking seems to be directed at least at Isaiah. It is one that is calling forth attention. And the question that comes back is, what shall I call attention to? What is it that I am to cry out? What is it that needs to be expressed? And we are given a twofold answer in these verses. We are told something about us, and we are told something about God's word. And so this evening, we want to look at the frailty of human life and the faithfulness or the endurance of the word of God. There is something that is said about us, and it is about our frailty. It says there in verse 6, uh, after the question, what shall I cry? The, uh, it says, all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The explanation then is given in verse 7. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely all people are like grass. Uh, in Palestine, in the spring season, uh, there can be these windstorms that arise that uh, are over 100 kilometers an hour. And those uh, windstorms can carry out from the Sahara and they can bring great quantities of dust and sand across and they can ruin the winter grass in Palestine very quickly. 
And some have wondered, is that what is being referenced here? This phenomena of how the wind can cause the grass to wither away very quickly. But either way, the implication is very clear, isn't it? That something that withers away is something that is very transient. It's here one moment, and then it's gone the next. That grass is not something that we associate with strength or with permanence or something that is very strong. And so here, this uh, description of human life is one of our weakness. And this is something that we have to reckon with. Now, we all know that we're mortal. We all know that we're creatures and that there was a beginning to our life. And we know through experience that people die. But we can live our lives distracting ourselves from that reality where we don't really give much credence to it in the way that we approach life. And that's not just a phenomenon that happens to atheists. That happens to religious people, too. Uh, James writes about this in his epistle, doesn't he? In James, he writes, uh, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life, James writes, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. What was James getting at? He's bringing to our attention that we're not able to guarantee uh, what the future may bring. We may not even be here in a year's time. We don't know what the future has in store for us. And that, like a mist, we can be here and then gone. And so instead of acting like we are all sufficient ourselves, we are to acknowledge our frailty. And we are to acknowledge that we depend on the Lord, ultimately, in the purposes that we uh, have. So Isaiah here is bringing to the forefront something of our weakness. All flesh is grass all flesh it's not something that is reserved only for some but we are to recognize that we ourselves are weak that's something that is not just here in isaiah that's something that we see again and again and again in the psalms we sang about it in psalm 103 we see it again in psalm 90 we see it again in psalm 39 it's there that we need to be faced with the fact that we ourselves are mortal and we ourselves are weak. Life is something fragile. But he's not simply talking about the temporariness of human life here. When he talks about what we need to know about ourselves. He says all life or all flesh is grass. But then he adds to it. In verse 6 again he says all flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. What's striking about that is, is that the word beauty is the word that is most commonly used to describe God's covenant with his people. It's the word hesed. It's the word for God's faithfulness to his promises. It's the same word to describe God's loyalty to do whatever he said he would do. And so the people are to live by faith in the hesed of God. 
And so as our translators are trying to capture this, they use this language of the beauty of man or the goodliness of man or the comeliness of man. It's all coming back to what constitutes human glory. In other words, as E.J. Young highlights, it's not talking about our human existence here. It's not talking even about our physical frame. It's talking about our inner moral qualities, the attributes of human beings, what we take pride in, in what we are. All the beauty of man is like the flower of the field. And so it's not just the temporariness of uh, humanity that is being highlighted here, but rather it's the constancy of human beings. It's the loyalty of human beings to their word, to their calling, to their duty. They're as constant as a flower in the field. You think about the flowers in the springtime. We might walk around the city of Charlottetown and we'll see flower beds. We might see them in flower pots. You see flowers springing up and those flowers are attractive to the eye. They're a delight to look upon. With the vivid colors, the flowers are standing up straight and strong. But within weeks, those flowers are fading. They are diminishing. They're no longer constant in their glory. And here, this voice cries out, what are we to cry out? We're to cry out that all flesh is grass. Human life is transient. And the flower of the field, they're like the flower of the field in terms of its constancy. It's not very dependable. And why is that significant? Because here in Isaiah, he's talking about this whole idea of comfort. And every one of us looks for comfort in this life. And it's very easy for us to think, I'm going to look for my comfort in myself. Except Isaiah in this voice here is highlighting human life is transient. We can't find our comfort in ourselves if we're temporary and life is fragile. Well, perhaps I can find my comfort in the collective efforts of humanity. And yet Isaiah, this message here is emphasizing all flesh is like grass. And all the glory of humanity, all its constancy, all its loyalty, all the glory of man is still like the flower of the field. It is not dependable. It is not reliable. And so we cannot build our comfort on it. If we do, it'll be like building a house of cards. And the least breath will cause that house of cards to come down. That's how people live when they put their trust ultimately in mortal man. They're trusting in something fragile. And so we can't put our trust ultimately in ourselves or even in others. You think even of the men of faith in the Bible. And this is something the scriptures are very plain about. You think about even what we read in this morning in Elijah. Elijah was a man of God. And yet Elijah, we see the ups and downs of his resolution and also of his despair. A man who wanted to die because he did not see the Lord's work coming about. You think about David, a man that we've been looking at in 1 Samuel. A man who would contend with Goliath in order to vindicate and to defend the glory of his God. 
and yet also a man who put a man to death in order to cover up his own sins. You think about Moses, a man who led the people of Israel through the wilderness, and yet also a man who in his anger struck the rock in disobedience to God. The constancy's not there. And so we can't ultimately find our comfort even in mortal man. Well then, if we can't find our comfort in ourselves or in others, where do we look to for our comfort? And ultimately, this is preparing us for understanding we need something dependable. We need someone that is certain and faithful. And it sets up a contrast here between the description of man and the description of God in his revelation through his word. And so here we are being uh, presented with the real source of comfort in the Lord himself. On the one, one hand, we long for comfort as we face the issues of life, and yet we cannot depend on ourselves to bring about that comfort. So the frailty of human life is being highlighted here. All flesh is like grass, and all flesh is like the flower of the field. In terms of its constancy, it does not endure. But that sets up the contrast uh, that uh, the voice highlights. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It will be established, in other words. It will be confirmed. Nothing will defeat it, and nothing will overcome it. The word of God will stand forever. How? Because it, in, it is on the basis of the authority of the one who speaks it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Psalm 33, it highlights by the breath of the Lord, the heavens were made. He spoke into existence and it was made so by the authority of his word. Or you think of, for instance, in Jesus' earthly ministry, you remember when Jesus met with the centurion and the centurion came to Jesus and he said, I too am a man of authority with men over me and under me. And I know the authority of the word. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Because when I tell people go, they go. When I tell people to come, they come. And Jesus, if you say the words on your authority, he will be healed. And so Jesus told the man, go, your servant will be healed. Your faith has made him well. And it's on the basis of the authority of the one who speaks that those things come about. And so here this statement, the word of God endures forever, is based on the authority of God himself. That's key. Because when we think about the Bible, we're not just thinking about writings independent from a third part point of view. We're looking at what God has said and that this is based on the authority of God himself and that we are to treat it on that basis. The word is certain and it is established on the integrity of the one who speaks. Because God is all-powerful, because God is always faithful, the word of God is certain to come to pass. But here in Isaiah, the word that is being highlighted is not just anything that God has said, although that's true, but especially the word of God's mercy that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. It's that word that is certain, that is being highlighted, that there is a word of salvation, 
because it might be hard for sinners to embrace that. It might be hard to believe that God would make peace with those with whom he is angered with, with those who have sinned against him, with those who are living out the effects of their own sin. It might seem to be too good to be true, but that's the announcement of comfort. And that's why the announcement of God's comfort needs to be coupled with the assurance of God's word. And so we need the word of God in light and to read it in light of the authority and the faithfulness of God. And not simply to look at the word of God and to weigh it on our own assumptions, whether we think that's likely or not. Rather, we're to take this as God's word. And because God has all authority, his word is final. Because God is faithful, it's worthy of our trust. And so here is the word that is brought to us and the source of our comfort. The Apostle Peter, he quoted from this passage when we read from it in 1 Peter chapter 1. And the Apostle Peter explains that we are to stand on the authority of God's word. And he highlights after quoting from Isaiah 40, he says, And this is the good news that was preached to you. What is the word that will stand forever? It's the gospel. What did Peter say at the beginning of his letter? Who according to the foreknowledge of God, God's purpose from eternity past to save, a word that was declared, would be realized in time. That God would accomplish that salvation that was prophesied long ago by the prophets. Things into which the angels longed to look. Things in past were fulfilled in history. He did this by shedding his own blood, the Lord Jesus shedding his own blood as the Lamb of God. The message of comfort and the good news to sinners is something that was announced centuries before the coming of Christ, but was confirmed through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Because as Jesus himself says, the scriptures cannot be broken. On the authority of the one who spoke them, on his power, but also on his trustworthiness, the scriptures cannot be broken. And so there is this uh, assurance that the word of God will stand. It is because God has all authority and God is trustworthy. But what is the difference that the word of God will stand forever? If it will stand forever, it means that it is reliable. You think about when you go out and you buy some part or some new device. Maybe you go and buy a computer. And when you're buying that device or that item, they'll ask you, would you like to get a warranty with that item? And the warranty is trying to highlight that they stand behind their product. Maybe if you're buying that computer, they'll say, we'll give you a two-year limited warranty or a two-year warranty on that item because we, we stand behind our product. And they're trying to assure you that it is reliable. But that warranty is limited, isn't it? It's for a period of time that that warranty stands valid. But here, the word of God stands forever. That it is always abiding. That it is certain, as the heavens are certain. That it is fixed eternally. And so God's word cannot be broken. And so we can trust in it at all times. 
It will never expire. It is a message that is forever relevant and one that we can depend upon. The word of God may be attacked. It may be ridiculed. It may not be popular. But the word of God is the word of Almighty God. And we are to weigh the words of God against the words of flesh that is like the grass. And to say, what am I going to find my comfort in? Something transient or something that is fixed and certain. And so here it all comes back to where do we look to for comfort in this life? Here in Isaiah, we are assured that there is a message of comfort. It comes from God. It is a message that addresses our greatest needs because it is being reconciled with God. God himself will act in history. He will restore sinners unto himself. How can I know that? Because God's word stands forever. Which raises the question, how do I know that this is the word of God? How do you know that you're dealing with the word of God? One way that we know that we're dealing with the word of God is because it claims to be the word of God. That might not sound like much of a point, but it needs to be said because not all faith systems hold to a belief that their writings are from the creator or from God Almighty. And so first we have to recognize that the scriptures do claim to be written, to be inspired by God Almighty himself. But then secondly, we know that this is God's word because of the confirmations of everything that was said in the course of history. That what was written by prophets down through the centuries by different people over the course of time finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, showing not only God's control over all things, but showing God's purpose as well in history. What God is doing in history and how he is showing his glory in and through his son. We see that this is the word of God because it, it gives all the contours of understanding meaning in this life. It not only tells us what to do or what to believe, but it begins to explain the whys of it. Why should I choose to love my neighbor instead of seeking vengeance? Why should I live believing that all people are equal? Explain that to me. Why should I seek to show mercy to someone? The scriptures not only explain the virtues, they explain the whys behind those virtues. They give us the foundations that begin to make sense of life in a satisfying way. And so we see the reasons for why we can come to the Bible and to trust it as something that is God-inspired. But ultimately... We come to know that this is the word of God, not simply because it claims to be, not because we can look at all the prophecies and we can see how it all is pointing to Christ. Ultimately, we come to this realization when the spirit convicts and changes a person so that they are convinced themselves that this is God's word. Only then does it become a message of comfort. When the spirit of God causes a person to say, I'm not dealing simply with the words of men. I'm dealing with the message and the story of God in history. But when I see what God is purposing to do and what he's revealing beforehand, it brings me comfort because it brings me to Christ. That's how I get comfort. 
And so as we think about this idea of the source of comfort, where do we look to for our comfort? Do I simply trust in the masses? Do I just simply trust in myself that I've got it all together, that I can figure out the circumstances of the future? Isaiah, the boy, says all flesh is like grass and the flower fades. Well, if I can't trust in myself or in others, where do I look for comfort? The word of God stands forever. There was a medieval saying by the Waldensians. The Waldensians were a renewal movement in the medieval church in the 12th century. And one of their sayings was, hammer away, ye hostile hands. Your anvil breaks. Your hammers break. God's anvil stands. And what they were highlighting is, is that in spite of the hostility directed at the word of God, God's word endures. And so really it comes down to a question of, are we people that are contending with God's word, or are we people that are being comforted by God's word? We can fight against it, but it's still certain. But when we embrace it, then we find the comfort that God's grace gives. Because we are people in need of God's truth. We are people in need of a Savior. And that Savior has come in Jesus Christ. And that's what the Word of God is pressing us to see. There is one who has paid the penalty of sin so that we might be forgiven if we trust in him. Have we trusted in this word ourselves, the word that took on flesh? Well, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that we would treasure your word and that we would see it not only as authoritative and trustworthy, but that by your spirit we would see how it leads us to the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God incarnate. And we pray, Lord, that you would grant to us uh, a trust in all that you have said and to live on the basis of it. Go before us now in Jesus' name. Amen.